the last few weeks is I, I get, I get a, a morning, a New York Times uh, morning email, and uh, I just find it interesting to uh, be aware of sometimes the perspective um, of, you know, the New York Times journalist, and uh, so get to see some of the headlines through that, and of course, every once in a while, I check, you know, on Fox News, and then Dad gets the Wall Street Journal, so he'll bring up his paper, actual, you know, Wall Street Journal paper. Anybody else get a paper delivered to their house besides my dad? Okay, so he's, he's holding strong. He's keeping the paper business, uh, and he'll, he'll bring up the Wall Street Journal. And then uh, he also gets the Week magazine. So after he reads that, we read the, uh, the Week magazine, and Kim and Audrey love the crossword puzzles in the back, but there are some interesting articles in it too. But what's been interesting over the last few weeks is that each of those news uh, outlets have had articles focusing on increasing uh, um, thoughts of suicide and depression among teen girls. Now, this, I think this really goes beyond just teen girls. This uh, is, it goes beyond even the teenage years. It passes even the gender uh, division of man, you know, men and women. But as humans, we are good warriors. We know how to do that well. We don't have to go to worry class. Uh, we, we just are born with uh, a tendency to, to worry, to be anxious and this is true 2,000 plus years ago when Paul is writing to the Philippian church. Uh, he deals with the same thing. So it isn't anything new. I think there are definitely elements of our culture that have exasperated our human tendencies. The, the increasing technology, the seclusion of even you know, remote work. And uh, you don't even have to go in the grocery store anymore and see people. I mean, you can, just, you can really seclude yourself. And those things aren't necessarily sinful. But if we're not careful, it's tends to even be more anxious and be more uh, consumed by worry. So let's see what Paul has to say to the Philippian church, and I think there will be many ways that we can apply this to our life uh, today as well. Philippians 4, now look at the latter part of verse 5. So the latter part of verse 5 in chapter 4, it says, The Lord is at hand. This was important to the verses prior to that, as we saw how important it is to pursue spiritual unity. And it's going to be just as important in the words that follow this when he says right after that, the Lord is at hand, there's a semicolon, so the thought is still carried through, even though the verse changes. The verse numbers aren't uh, inspired by God. It's just something that helps us with organization. But it says, the Lord is at hand, semicolon, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we see in these verses that we should replace worry with worship, and first of all, through your prayers. Replace worry with worship through your prayers. In that very first phrase there in Philippians chapter 4, 6, Paul makes it clear that worry needs to be replaced. I think it was my grandma that used to say, you know, um, and she, dad would kind of encourage her, uh, you know, mom, don't, don't worry so much. And she would say, well, no, this is just Christian concern. This isn't, this isn't worry. And she would kind of smile. <laughs> like, yeah, grandma, you know what you're doing. But Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. So worry needs to be replaced. Now, the first point under that, this is kind of harsh when you first look at it. It is sinful. Wow, man, pastor. Man, I mean, just jumping my toes already. 
we, we need to look back at Scripture, and I, and I want to bring you to the point where, um, yes, maybe this will be convicting, maybe this will be challenging, but hopefully it will be encouraging. Hopefully it will help you uh, to have some victory in this area. It is sinful. Look with me in Matthew chapter 6. So we're going to be kind of going back and forth between Philippians 4 and Matthew 6. Because Paul seems to echo some of the teachings that Christ gives in the passage of Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 25 through 34. But first of all, I'm going to highlight in Matthew 6, three verses that in three different times, Jesus himself says, don't be anxious. Okay, so Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? Now ask that to, you know, teenagers and college students. And that's a difficult question to answer. Is not life more than food? Ah, well, it is. It goes on. And the body more than clothing? And then Matthew 6, 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? And a few verses later, in verse 34, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, obviously, as humans, God gives us and he wired us in such a way where when there is danger and when there's possibilities for danger, there is a certain instinct and kind of an alarm clock that God helps to go off uh, to help us avoid certain things. But many times we go way beyond that and we begin to worry and we're anxious about things that haven't even happened. And many times, more often than not, are not going to happen, but we worry, what, what, if, what if they do? What if this happens? Well, well, how will I be able to? And Jesus says three times, listen, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. So as we allow ourselves to do that, first of all, we need to remind ourselves and, and, and understand it is sinful. This is not pleasing to God. Part of the things that we see you know, in this is that choosing to worry points to a trust problem. Choosing to worry points to a trust problem. Some of the verses that have been very important to me uh, from as long as I can remember, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says, Trust in who? In the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on whose understanding? Oh, man, that's tough. Because... You know, I think I can plan it. I think I can, you know, strategize. I think I can, you know, work through this. And, and if I can't, well, surely I can bring some of my friends into this and, and we can come up with a way to, to get through. And it's very difficult to put that into practice. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And who will direct your path? It says He will, He'll direct your path. So choosing to worry points to a trust problem. It's easier sometimes for me to want to trust in myself and in my knowledge and how I can navigate certain things. And, and I begin to place, have a misplaced trust in myself or maybe even in somebody else. Well, my spouse is going to be the one that has the answer. Or, or uh, my peers are going to be the ones. They're the ones that are going to help me to navigate through this. And you can fill in the blank. And you, it, it's easy to begin to put so many other people there other than God himself. But choosing to worry also points to a truth problem. 
points to a truth problem. As we allow ourselves and begin to get consumed and we we allow those thoughts to continue and to continue, one commentator compared those thoughts of worry and of being anxious even to like false prophets. It's kind of the voice of of false prophets in our mind and our thinking that are telling us things that aren't true. And as we continue to listen to those false prophet voices of worry, then it will certainly begin to navigate us and lead us down a very dark, dark path. I want to ask you a few questions. We're in 2023. Okay, so first of all, and I, for some whatever reason, I don't know why this came to mind the other day, but as I was getting ready for the day, I remembered that in the year 2000, before the year changed, what was the huge worry that before, you know, 1999, but we were gearing up to 2000, what was the huge worry? And some of you were like, Pastor, I wasn't around. I I don't know. (laughs) Y2K. What does Y2K stand for? Year 2000. And what did, you know, what did many people in the world think might happen on December 31st, 1999, as as it passed into the new year, all was going to just shut down. I mean, the world was going to be lost and all the, the computer systems were going to crash and the electrical grid was going to be out and, and all these things happened and people bought generators and sometimes some people even moved out to the country and they stored food and they had bunkers and all these things. And you know what happened? Nothing. But yet, millions and millions of people were so worried and so anxious about that. So that's 23 years ago. But I want to ask you this. How many of you can guarantee in the next 20 years financial security for you and for your family? You say, yes, I can promise you that I will have financial security for the next 20 years. The next two decades, I I can guarantee that. Anybody? Okay, what about this? I eat salads, I eat vegetables, I drink, you know, grass juice or whatever you think is healthy for you. So I can guarantee for the next two decades, I'm going to have stable health. Raise your hand, anybody? All right, well, maybe, maybe this. Well, we, our, my relationships are strong right now. So for the next 20 years, I can guarantee that my relationships that I'm enjoying right now will remain as stable and even become stronger. I can guarantee it for the next 20 years. Anybody? No one. So in a way, we readily recognize I cannot guarantee those things. It is not within my power. But yet on a day-to-day basis, often I allow myself to think it is my responsibility and I can work and strategize and do whatever's necessary. It is my responsibility to guarantee my financial stability, to guarantee that my health is going to stay stable, to make sure that all my relationships don't change and don't, don't you know, disintegrate before my eyes. I have to do this. And God says, no, that's not true. That's not true. That is not for you and I to put on our shoulders. There was a time in Brazil, and this may still be happening, but it's certainly not as prevalent, that the dengue virus was prevalent. And mosquitoes would pass as they would, you know, sting or what, what do you say, sting or bite? I don't know. As the mosquitoes would uh, suck blood, you know, from someone that was infected with the dengue virus. And then as they flew and landed on somebody else and, and sucked blood from that person, then they would infect that person with the dengue virus as well. There's a lot of mosquitoes in Brazil. And 
um, there was a time where it's like, how do, what do we do? How do we keep our, ourselves and our kids from getting the dengue virus? And we, we knew people that there was kind of two uh, strands of the dengue virus. One, it felt like a really bad flu and it was serious, but most people survived. And then there was another one that was a hemorrhaging strand. And if you got the hemorrhaging strand, you, you, you didn't have much chance. And we knew of people that died from the dengue virus. And there was big campaigns and the, the, the public health officials were going door to door knocking and saying, listen, do you have uh, tires in your yard or flower pots or anything that is holding standing water because that's what breeds uh, the dengue mosquitoes? Well, we lived near a huge reservoir and part of that reservoir was kind of like a swamp. So, okay, well, how do you empty that thing down the street? where thousands and thousands of dengue mosquitoes are probably breeding. You can just imagine how our thoughts, you know, begin to, okay, so we just walk around in this like mosquito net all the time. You know, we send our kids out to play with bicycles and mosquito net around them. You can't. You can't do it. And so there was a point where Kim and I had to, to really practice God, I don't, I don't know. We don't know how to guarantee, and we really can't. So, Lord, Help us just to trust in you, and we have to go about life. We can't live in constant fear. Uh, we certainly don't desire that this happens to any of us or our children or anybody in our church. But Lord, help us to, to stay true. We can't guarantee it. But yet if we had allowed ourselves to continue to think, no, it's, it's my responsibility. Oh, goodness. How, how dark a path that would have led us down because it's not true. God is in control. Choosing to worry points to a trust problem. Choosing to worry points to a truth problem. This goes all the way back to John 8, 44, when Jesus says, you're of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. It does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. This is one of the distractions that Satan tries. And he has many, believe me. You know that. But one of the things that he pulls out of his arsenal is, hey, can I distract the believers? Can I just consume them as they get anxious and as they worry and as they just get to a point where, where they're not really trusting in the Lord anymore and they're struggling and, and, and they're not having victory? That's, that's a win for Satan. But thank God it doesn't have to stay that way. We see, secondly, it's not only sinful, but it is, it is worthless. It doesn't help me, and it doesn't help you. Matthew 6, 27 says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Matthew 6, 34, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious, anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I can't add an hour to my life. I can't add a minute to my life. That is not in my control. Yesterday, as I was pulling out of the Lowe's parking lot, there was a, a fire truck that was racing down, headed south on Cobb Parkway, and several policemen right behind it, sirens blaring. And I thought, whose world has just changed in this past instant? Perhaps someone just lost their life like that. Could have been my wife. Could have been my child, could have been someone, some of you that I love in this church family. How fast 
but I don't have control over that. God does. It's worthless. It's not going to help me. More often than not, as I've mentioned before, we, we tend to worry about things that haven't even happened. We get anxious about that, and it just it begins to cycle through our thoughts. You know, I mentioned the news, some of the news outs that's in the beginning, but I want to warn you that it's not always healthy to spend a lot of times reading the news. I'm not saying we need to, you know, stick our head in the sand and just go, oh, yes, um, you know, no, nothing's going on. Dad and I have joked several times, but, but Mom, Dad, he, he stays up with the news, okay, and he loves to read. Mom was kind of the other way. She would t- even tell Dad, say, listen, if we go to war, let me know. Otherwise, I don't really care. So, so she was kind of the opposite. And maybe some of us need to take that approach, especially if, as you read the news, you just begin to, to go down that spiraling path of, oh, goodness, well, I read this, and, and I read this, and we can get to a certain point where are we even going to let our kids, you know, do anything? Are we ever going to run alone? Are we ever going to leave the house? But then yet, if we stay in the house, I mean, what, what, what do we need to do to purify the air and the water in such a way that, and put our alarm systems and all these things to, to keep myself safe? I mean, you can just see how we can allow this to go to a certain extreme because... In the end, there's no way we can guarantee our safety, stability, and financial success. It's worthless. As we allow these things to go unchecked, as we aren't pursuing uh, solutions, and, and I want to I say, first of all, I think there's two extremes to this. Sometimes the extreme is, hey, bless God, learn a few verses and you'll be good. Well, you just need to pray more. That is the foundation, but God also gives us gracious gifts in life that can help us. I enjoy being outside. That is a very therapeutic thing for me. I love to ride my bike. I love to be outside. I love to see the wood, the woods, and, and maybe in some extent we'll see here in Matthew chapter 6, possibly God even calls on creation as a reminder of how he cares for the birds and he cares for the flowers. And maybe that's why I enjoy being outside so much. But others enjoy other things. For Jessica, it's baking. I'm going to tell you, that would stress me out. Trying to follow recipes and did it burn? Is it done in the middle? No, it's gooey. Okay, what do I do now? But Jessica loves that. I mean, she'll go in the kitchen and if she's had a rough day or a few days at work, she just thrives on baking in the kitchen. And we benefit from that. I'm thankful that she gets the outlet in that way. Kim loves crossword puzzles. Christina can read, and Audrey does too, and Christina can read through, she can read through a book in a day. I don't remember the last time I completed a book in a day. Uh, usually it takes me weeks. But she just reads, and because that's, that's her outlet. There are many things that God gives us as gracious gifts as part of his creation and part of how he wired us to help us But unchecked anxiety, unchecked worry can lead to even a lot of physical problems. As we lose sleep, as we have physical issues, maybe even heart issues, and we need to be thankful for medical doctors that we can go to and get exams and be checked out. Uh, But, you know, there's an extreme of, okay, bless God, it's just this. Or there's another extreme of, well, I know what the Bible says, but... I've got to find solutions in all these other areas. God's peace is the foundation. If we miss that, 
then we'll never find lasting and satisfying peace. Think of Exodus 4, verses 10 through 14. Moses, he was fearful. God called upon him to go and talk to Pharaoh, to to lead the people out of of, uh, Egypt. But Moses was anxious. Anybody remember why Moses was so anxious and worried? God, I can't can't speak well. Do you think God, you know, it's like, oh, man, Moses, thank you for reminding me. I forgot. God called Moses to that job. But yet Moses, because of his, because of being anxious and being worried about that aspect, for a while it delayed him on what God called him to do. God graciously allowed Aaron to speak for him, but that wasn't his original design. His original goal and his original plan was, Moses, you're the one. I'm going to be with you. I'll give you the words to say. What about Abraham? God called Abraham, and we look back at Abraham as a man of faith, but yet there were moments in Abraham's life, uh, his, his wife, he considered to be beautiful, and she probably was. And as they were traveling through lands, at one point, actually twice, Abraham said, listen, um, don't, you know, don't tell anyone that you know, we are, we're just brothers and sisters, And again, it was a distraction and it delayed Abraham from from doing at that moment and Sarah from doing at that moment what God had called them to do. So physically, there are many aspects and many consequences even of unchecked anxiety, unchecked, unchecked worry. And spiritually, there are as well because that can pull us away and, and distract us from the mission and the journey and the path that God has called you to and has God called you and me to accomplish when we just begin to get consumed in our worry. Anxiety and worry can rob you of the peace that God wants you to enjoy. It's sinful, it's worthless, and then notice thirdly, it is worldly. Matthew 6, 31 and 32 says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So Jesus reminds, as he's preaching this in Matthew 6, he says, this is common among those who don't know me as the Messiah. This is common among those who don't know know, God as their Father. This is worldly. So in our head, and, and many times we'll acknowledge, yes, God is in control and God is sovereign. But practically... Oftentimes we live as sometimes the pagans do. And we begin to think, no, this is something that I have to figure out. This is something that's on my shoulders and I've got to, you know, guarantee this. And again, we're not trusting in the Lord as we should and we're not thinking truthfully as we should. And Jesus says, hey, that's worldly. That is an attitude that is not, should not be of someone who is a Christ follower. Uh, this is something that the Gentiles do. Now, Christians, you know, we face problems in our life. And you're like, Pastor, you say that again. All right, I will. As Christians, we face trials and problems in our life. Amen? Sometimes they're, they're hard. They're difficult. There are dark days and weeks and months and sometimes even, even years. You know, but God can use what appear the things that appear to be setbacks, God can use those as stepping stones 
in your walk with him. So the setbacks in your life that could distract you and could lead you to great anxiety and great worship, boy, pray, come to God and say, Lord, help these to be stepping stones in my walk with you. And as, as I trust you more, as I can cast all my care on you, as Peter says, because you care for me, that they would be stepping stones in your walk with him. So we often acknowledge God's goodness, his sovereignty, his power, but yet we live as the Gentiles, as Christ says, or as those who are godless. And that's why Matthew 6, 31, 30 and 31 says, O you of little faith. And then the very next phrase, therefore, do not be anxious. We see that worship needs to be replaced, but then secondly, worship needs to be practiced through prayer. Worship needs to be practiced through prayer. Because of who God is, he is the creator and sustainer of all things. Look with me in Matthew 6, verses 25 through 30. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? I'm just going to pause here for a second. And I want you to answer that question out loud. Are you not of more value than the birds? Okay, I think there's a little bit of doubt there. So let's practice this again. Are you not more valuable to God than the birds? Yes. And that's what Jesus is driving at. He says, listen, and birds are valuable. They're part of God's creation. But Jesus says, look at the birds. Listen to the sermon that they sing. Watch the sermon that they live out. Are, are you not more valuable than they? And then he goes on, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you? And then he answers, he, he says kind of a, a, a question here. Oh, you of little faith. I want you to look next screen here. Um, oh, I must not have. Nope. Okay. I think I updated it in my copy and it didn't, it didn't download on this one. Imagine with me, okay? Imagine you're going into our house. I think most of you have been in our house. So imagine you're going into our front door. Front door's blue. There's a wreath. Several weeks ago, we began to see pine straw being deposited in this wreath and all over the ground. And then it began, as we opened the door, it began to come into our walkway. I said, Kim, I think a bird's building her nest in our wreath. Oh, how special, she says. I'm thinking, how messy. <laughs> this is a mess. And then I said, you know, eventually the bird's going to be in the nest. And imagine there might be a bird that comes into our house. High ceilings. And, you know, imagine. So, oh, but this will be special. It'll be good for the kids to see, you know, the eggs and the bird. So day by day, more and more pine straw was brought. And as the bird continued to, to work, and, and, and initially it was a huge mess, and it was just kind of, pine straw was hanging down, you know, from the wreath. 
But then, little by little, the nest began to take shape. And so, I don't know how birds do it, but the bird began to kind of wrap the pine straw. And then make it in such a way where the hole is pretty tiny. And then eventually, we came home, and Mary's like, Dad, there's eggs inside. And so we, we you know, got our phone, and you could kind of expand a little bit, and you could look in there and, and see the eggs. And now the bird is coming in and out. And has startled almost every one of us of the families. We open the door. Sometimes it'll hit us in the back. As Christina was coming home late from work last night. And I opened the door. It like flew out and kind of like flew like this. But think with me. Who's going to take care of that bird? Are we depositing food in the nest every morning? I say, Michael, okay, go feed the bird. Do we do that? Who's going to take care of the bird? God takes care of the bird. And God not only takes care of that bird, but God takes care of the bird who made a nest in our neighbor's house two, two streets, two houses down. Bradley said, yeah, we've got a bird building nest on our wreath too. So I'm not sure why our neighborhood was so special, but it just, you know, they're being cared for because God cares for them. Now, all of you know, most of you at least know that my father-in-law passed away in July and it was a, a very, very difficult experience. It still, still is. One of the things that he loved uh, through his life and that has passed down to Kim is the love for plants and the love for, or for trees and things like that. That's why we have a greenhouse in our room. I mean, just all these things because Kim loves those things. But as we were involved in the cleanup of my father-in-law's property, um, there were several occasions into, late into the summer, the beginning of the fall, that Kim says, oh, let's, let's dig this up and that up. And so we would come back from Macon with a van load full of plants, and then we would take them on the back porch, and they were in water until you know I had a, a little bit of time to plant them, and then we planted them throughout the, the backyard. And most of the stuff that I planted looked dead. Honestly, I thought, I don't know how much of this is going to survive, but this is making Kim happy, and it's special to her, so, you know, Dig more, dig another hole, and then we'd plant something else. But you know the amazing thing? Almost everything survived. And what's even cooler is even as Christ reminds us here in Matthew chapter 6, as he closed the flowers of the field, now we're beginning to see on what looked like a dead branch coming out of the ground, we're beginning to see little green buds that have been dormant for months, withstood freezing temperatures. And that's the beauty of spring. As you walk out and you begin to see kind of everything coming back to life again, and Christ says, look around. Don't forget that. Uh, enjoy creation and be reminded that in the same way that I do that for, for the, the plants and the, and the flowers and in the same way that I, I care for the birds, I can do that for you. That's why I'm saying Christ, you know, that's why Christ can say three times, do not be anxious, do not be anxious, do not be anxious. But yet often when I, I am preaching a totally different sermon in my head, in my mind I'm thinking, man, yeah, but, but what, what about this and what about this? Well, how long will this, well, well what happens when, when this changes or God says, think about who I am as creator and sustainer of all things. But not only is he the creator and sustainer of all things, it also says that he, we also see in Matthew chapter 6, that he is our provider. He is our provider. 
In over two decades of vocational ministry as a church planner uh, and, and in construction and, and different and ordering even you know, resources for the church, I've had many um, talks, either personally or on the phone, with people that I was ordering supplies from. It may have been a load of bricks, it might have been a load of sand or cement, or it may have been you know, Bibles and Sunday school curriculum, but oftentimes they would say something like this, let me check with my supplier, see if we have it in stock, and I'll see how fast I can get this stuff to you. And God's reminding us in Matthew chapter 6, I am your supplier. Talk to me. Come and see me. Matthew chapter 6, we see in verses 31 through 33, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And then notice, And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. In this passage, and also in Philippians chapter 4, 6, we see, first of all, that we can talk to God. And that may not be new to you. You may say, I, I, I mean, I know that, but think about it. Think a little bit about that for a minute. That you and I, can talk to God himself. I've had a problem. I, we, I've been trying to resolve something with our life insurance policy. Um, and, and no, I'm not upping Kim's life insurance to do anything to her or anything of that nature. But we, we formed a trust recently. We're trying to get things in order just in case. And I've been trying to, to list our trust as a contingent beneficiary on our life insurance policy since the beginning of December. And I've called, spent much time on the phone. I've gone through what they told me was the process online and by sending emails. I've tried to use their portal, but it still hasn't happened. I haven't been able to speak with someone who can solve the problem. And it's frustrating. You've experienced that. It's maybe you've talked to an insurance company or to a company that you purchased something from. I know Anna has with the, with the bed she ordered. I don't, have you gotten it yet? No, she hasn't gotten it yet. She knows what it's like. And you can identify with that. You can't get there. Maybe an, air, an, an airline, you're trying to get credit from a flight or you're trying to reschedule a flight, and nobody seems to help. Like, no, you need to talk to this person. And then they say, no, 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 well, you're really supposed to talk to that person again. We'll never get that with God. We'll never get a balanced email. We'll never get a, a voicemail that's like too full and you can't even leave a message. We won't get an out-of-office message. We can talk to God. Philippians 4, 6 reminds us of that. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Praise the Lord for that. That I can talk to the very source, the very creator and sustainer of all things and the provider who owns all things. I can talk to him. Uh, 1 Peter 5, 7, Peter says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. But not only can we talk to God, but we can talk to God about anything. Philippians 4, 6, again, do not be, be anxious about what? About anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And few of us lack opportunities to, to worry, to be anxious. 
Most of us, because we're humans, because we live in the fallen world, whether it's in the area of finances or a change of plans, we've had plenty of those since COVID started, right? Whether it be our health, relationships that that begin to seem to, to experience difficulty. We fear failure. You know, we may think God has called me to this, but will I succeed? Is this going to work out? Is, do we have the capability to do this? Maybe even reputation. Well, what are other people going to think of me? How do other people look at me? And we, So we have plenty of reasons to worry and to be anxious. And all of those reasons, Paul says to the Philippian church, those are reasons, every one of those reasons are reasons that should, should call you to say, then go to Christ then right away take that that you're anxious about and in that go directly to God and talk to him about it. We see that in the book of Psalms. Sometimes it's, it's really amazing to me how, how blunt and how honest the psalmists are. Where they'll even question God. God, you know, do you bless the wicked like that but yet I'm suffering? But then typically at the end of every psalm, you see the psalmist come back around and says, but God... You're my refuge. God, you're my strong rock. God, you're my shadow. God, because in Psalm 63, I believe it is, God, your steadfast love is better than life. And because of that, my lips will praise you, God. We can talk to God about anything. You know, sometimes we think of prayer like maybe ordering something off of Amazon. We were in Macon on one occasion. Dad was with us, and Dad saw a coffee maker that my mother-in-law had in her home there in Macon. And he ordered it from Walmart, there, there on the spot in Macon. By the time we got back to Ackworth that evening, the coffee pot was on our doorstep. And you've had, now that's not even, we even don't even think a whole lot about that. Yeah, we'll get it in a couple hours maybe. But surely within 24 hours... So whether it's Amazon or Kroger Clicklist or Walmart, we, we expect, okay, we make the order, and it shows up. And if it doesn't show up, then we go through the rigmarole. Okay, well, who do I talk to? I'm trying to, where's my package? And sometimes we think that prayer is like that. God, this is my request. Where's the answer? I'm ready. You're not answering? But Tony Evans, I, I like this phrase, he said, prayer is relational communication with God. Prayer is relational communication with God. There are going to be many, many occasions where you and I, we won't know what the next step is. We won't know exactly at that moment, okay, what do I do in this financial situation? What do I do with this health emergency that we're now facing? What do I do with this relationship that I'm encountering some difficulty? But every time we can know one aspect that's very clear about God's will, go to him. Go to him in prayer. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. Take your prayer and your supplication and your requests. Let them be known to God. We're limited in what we know in our knowledge, but I, I want to remind you, and this is, a, this is a huge message to myself, folks. For me to remind myself, David, go to God. 
Have you prayed to the Lord about this? You're anxious and you're worried, but have you talked to God about it? Because that is something I know is his will. I know that step. But how often do I do it? How often do I just kind of skirt past that? Like, I don't really have time because I've got to think about how to figure this out. Well, wait a minute. God's our provider. Have I asked him? Paul, 2 Corinthians 11, he expounds on a horrific list of all that he has experienced in his ministry, all the difficulties and obstacles. He talks about the imprisonments and the countless beatings that almost killed him on several occasions. On five occasions, he was whipped 39 times. I don't think anybody in this room could say that. Yeah, on five occasions, I was whipped 39 times. No. On uh, three times, he was beaten with rods. One time, he was even stoned and left for dead. He talks about, you know, a shipwreck. He talks about danger in the city and danger in the wilderness and danger from his own, referring to the Jews, the unbelieving Jews who persecuted him. And he, he goes through this whole list. And we look at that list and think, Wow. And that was one of God's like very special servants who wrote so many of the letters and so many books in the New Testament. Even this book, remind, you know, were to be reminded, he's in prison writing this book. But yet in all of that, at the end, Paul comes in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, and he says this, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my, this is an interesting word choice, of my anxiety for all the churches of my anxiety for all the churches. Now, I, we can ask Paul when we get to heaven, and then we can ask the Lord together. We can kind of say, Lord, when Paul was anxious, when he was worrying about the churches, was that right? I'm not exactly sure, but I do know one way that Paul responded to those feelings of, of being anxious for the churches, of being worry, worried for the churches, he prayed. We see... In Philippians 1, 3 through 4, the, the, the beginning of the book that we've been going through, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. In 2 Corinthians 13, 7, be reminded the Corinthian church, was the Corinthian church just, just thriving and always just a real joy? And as, whenever Paul would hear the Corinthian church, it just automatically brought, you know, ideas of unity and of a family, church family singing kumbaya, you know, around a bonfire. Is that what happened? The Corinthian church was problematic. But yet we see in 2 Corinthians 13, 7, but we pray to God that you may not do wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right. So Paul, a very strong person in the faith, he also, I believe, had struggles with worrying and being anxious about the church, but his response was the same that he told the Philippian church to do. Go to God in prayer. And he prayed for the churches. He says, you know, we're praying for you that you do what is right. That's what we need to do with our children, parents. It's easy sometimes to worry and be anxious and think, well, if my child doesn't change direction and attitudes, where will this lead them down the road? God, help me to pray. I'm going to do my best and then give it up to you in prayer and allow your peace to guard my heart and to continue to help me to be faithful and loving 
the whole way. Paul did that with the church. 2 Corinthians 13, 9. Your restoration, Paul says, is what we pray for. 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12. To this end, we always pray for you, talking to the believers in Thessalonica, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. So that the name of Jesus, our Lord Jesus, may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. In Ephesians and in Colossians, Paul even records some of his prayers. And they're pretty interesting to read. Ephesians 3, for example, is a powerful prayer that Paul prays. But we need to go to God in prayer about anything. Thirdly, we see that we should thank God in all things. Philippians 4, 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Paul says a, a similar challenge in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 and 18. It says, pray without ceasing, and then right after that, but give thanks in all circumstances, not for all circumstances, but give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Another statement by, by Tony Evans that was challenging, he says, give thanks not for the problem itself, but for the God you are inviting into your specific problem. I don't enjoy health issues. I don't enjoy financial problems any more than you do. But in every problem we face, we can be thankful and say, but God, I'm so thankful that you can come into my problem and help me through it. You may not even take the problem away often, but God, I know that you can help me through it. And I'm thankful that you will be with me. Recently, Kim had a surgical procedure, and so we went to uh, the hospital for this procedure to be done. And, and we weren't that day thanking the Lord for the benign. I mean, we were thanking that it was benign, but we weren't thanking the Lord for, I'm so glad that, you know, Kim has this tumor that has to be cut out of her body. You know, this is just such a great experience. But you know what we were thanking God for? A very skilled surgeon that several people along the way, the receptionist, the guy that came out to the meeting, the, the waiting room to talk to us, Several people along the way, one of the nurses that came in the room, the pre-op room, said, if I had to have surgery, this is the guy that I'd come to. He is phenomenal. Thank God that the Lord was bringing this surgeon into that problem. And it's the same way that we were thankful for the surgeon. How much more thankful can I be for God himself? In every single problem that I face and that my family faces and that you face, that our church faces, we can look to the Lord and say, God, thank you that we can call on you. Thank you that we can bring you into this problem. That is why you and I can be thankful. Then we can trust God for everything we need. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We're going to go ahead and stop there for time. So bow your heads, if you would, and close your eyes as we think about today replacing worry with worship.